Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning. How are we doing today, Summit Church? It's great to see you. I'm so glad you're here today. My name is Mel Massingale. I'm one of the pastors here at Summit. I hope you're having a great day today. And I just want to wish all the fathers a happy Father's Day. Thank you so much for uh, being at one, one person. Sharon's like, yeah, fathers. <laughs> Nobody else is excited about fathers. But we are so excited that you're here with us today. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. If you've got questions, let us know. If you're watching online, no matter where you may be or how you may be joining us, thank you so much for making the summit a part of your day. We pray that God blesses you as you worship with us. No matter uh, where you may be joining us from, if you're watching it was my beard just took over the. <laughs> if you're watching from our website at summitpa.church, or maybe you're watching from our Facebook page, we're so grateful that you're worshiping with us today. Uh, and again, I want to. I guess I'm buying a new mic. All right, we'll go with this one today. It's good to see you guys. Um, yeah, a couple things I want to mention to you. At the Movies is coming up in the month of July. There are cards like this one all through the lobby. This is one of the biggest series we do throughout the year. Invite your friends. Uh, it will be fun. We've already got the movies picked out that we're doing. Uh, we're going to have popcorn, hot buttered popcorn during every service, so make sure you're here. And this year it's new. We're actually doing At the Movies back with the kids as well. So you don't need to keep your kids in here. They're going to have a movie back in kids' church for At the Movies as well. So it's going to be the entire church, and uh, we're going to have so much fun. So bring your friends, bring people who normally wouldn't attend church, and join us for At the Movies during the month of July. I uh, also want to remind you, growth track during the 11 a.m. worship experience every week, so get connected with that. And uh, that's the way you find out about uh, opportunities, relationships, just stuff coming up, and uh, that is the best way to do that during our 11 a.m. worship experience every week. So if you're new to Summit, get connected with that and uh, build some relationships, find your place, discover your purpose, and we will help you on your journey. Um, so tomorrow, a bunch of people, about 80 people from our church, are leaving, and they're heading over for youth camp, and they're going to be over in, uh, in Ohio for youth camp for this next week, and I'm excited because my girls will be gone, and my wife's in El Salvador, so that means I eat whatever I want this week, so... But I'm excited because I really believe this is going to be a life-changing week for so many of our students. Some of them are going to deepen their relationship with God. Some of them are going to experience a call to ministry. Some of them are going to maybe experience the Holy Spirit for the first time. So many things are in store for these students, and I'm excited, and they're going to have a great time. But we've got some leaders and students going. I want to invite all of our students and all of our leaders that are going to camp tomorrow. I want you to come right down here on the front, in front of the step. So go ahead, students, come on down. We want to pray for you. You can face me. I'm not going to make you face the crowd. Don't worry. That's just awkward. You're making eye contact with all these people. Okay, so the Nelson boys, you knew you were having to do this, and you still sat in the balcony today. So we're going to have about 10 awkward seconds while we're waiting on the Nelsons, and we'll just hang out. So 
Now, I am excited about the students and the leaders that are going. Uh, okay, students, how many of you, this is your first time to ever go to a youth camp before? If it's your first time, raise your hand. That pumps me up. Okay. Leaders, how many of this is your first time to go to camp? We'll pray specifically for you right now then. Now, we're going to have a great time. And I know, um, yeah, give them a round of applause. Thank you. The Nelsons showed up. Glad you're here, guys. Thank you. Um, but uh, I, I really do believe God's going to do something incredible this week in your life, that this is not just a week that you're going to be away from home. This is not just a week that you get to, uh, to get to hang out with your friends. I really do believe this is a week that God wants to do something spe- specific in your life, that he has appointed this time, that he's going to do something crazy in you because he wants to do something crazy through you. I didn't get tear when I looked at my daughter. I got tear when I looked at Joey. Joey. <laughs> but I mean it. God wants to do something so incredible through your lives, but he's going to begin some things this week at camp. I truly believe that. And so I just want to pray for our students. Uh, and if, if you've got a child that's standing up here that you would like to come and pray for, except the Nelsons. You guys can't come down. You're sitting in the balcony. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. But if you've got a child or uh, someone you're related to or connected to uh, relationally and you'd like to pray for them, I would love for you to come, at, uh, come up and just lay your hand on their shoulder and uh, join them. And, uh, and I want to pray for these students. And I would love for you, those of you here in the room, those of you that are watching online, feel free to, to pray with us. But I'm just going to believe that this is going to be such an incredible week, that it's going to be life-changing, that it's going to be an appointment from God for something special, something new, something unique. And so uh, I just want to pray a blessing on you. And uh, can we get, a, there's, there's a couple students over here that don't have anybody with them. Nobody, nobody loves you guys. Uh, <laughs> Their parents are here, <laughs> clearly, uh, so I just guilted their parents into coming forward, so anyway, so let's pray for these students together, and uh, if you're comfortable stretching out a hand, stretch out a hand, but let's just agree for these students. God, thank you so much for what you're going to do this week, God. I thank you that you want to meet with these students, that you want to deepen their relationship, you want to help them discover you. Lord, for some of these students, they're going to discover a calling into to full-time ministry. For some of them... God, they're going to experience you in such a way that their hearts are going to fall in love with you more than they ever have before. They're going to discover a real Christ that maybe they only knew through religion. But, Lord, they're going to experience that this week. God, I pray that what you begin this week, you would bring to fruition. Lord, the seeds that are planted would come to harvest. So, God, I pray for every student that's here. Lord, I pray for every parent that's sending a student, God, that you would take away anxiety or fear. Lord, that the, the students have any fear, I pray that you would cast that out in the name of Jesus, that you give them a boldness and a confidence and an excitement for for the week and what's to come. God, I pray that you give them a good attitude throughout the week, that, Lord, they would be used by you as they're receiving from you. God, I pray for the leaders that are going, that you would give them wisdom, give them confidence, give them boldness, give them discernment in what to say to students and how to lead the students well. And God, I pray that this week would be a life-changing week, not just for these students, but for our student ministry, and not just for the student ministry, but for this church. Lord, I pray that they would bring, let them bring a passion back with them that will be that will be uh, contagious to the rest of this church, Lord. Let them bring an excitement back about their relationship with you that will be contagious, that will impact this church and impact this community. God, I pray that what you do this week at camp will impact this next school year, that, Lord, they would influence their schools because of what they experience and how they see you. So, God, let this be a life-changing week. Lord, be glorified through these students. Keep them safe as they travel and bless them this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give them a round of applause, can we?
Thank you, guys. You can go sit down now. <laughs> the students are looking at me like, is that it? Are we done now? Thank you, students. Appreciate you. Uh, now I'm excited. Pastor Ricky's taking 80 kids with him to camp. Pray for Pastor Ricky. <laughs> and he'll be closing us out at the end of service, but uh, he's doing such a great job with our youth ministry. Love seeing what God is doing in that area, in that department. We've got some kids that aren't in here for service because some of them are serving in kids' church or different areas, but uh, what a great group of teenagers we have here at Summit Church. Uh, it's wonderful to see you today. We are continuing our series that we started a few weeks ago called Man Cave. And um, before we get into that, I want to let you know uh, we are giving some stuff away today. And if I know anything about men, it's that men love gift baskets. No? Is that not the case? Uh, so we are going to give away some gift baskets. My wife gave away some gift baskets for Mother's Day and not to be outdone. We've got some Father's Day gift baskets. And they have, I will assure you, gentlemen, there is nothing that smells fragrant or floral in them. There is nothing feminine in the least about any of these baskets. Uh, all of them are masculine to the max. Uh, we have one basket that is NHL themed. Uh, it's Pittsburgh Penguins themed, uh, Yeti, tumblers, all kinds of stuff. And uh, there's a gift card in it. I think it's a $50 gift card for the NHL store. So you can order something for yourself nice online, but it's got some great stuff in there. Uh, we've got a Pittsburgh Steelers basket. Again, great stuff. And then if you don't like sports, We've got something that every man would like. It's, I call it a tactical basket, and it's got some stuff from 511 Tactical in there, like manly stuff. And so you can register for that over at the Info Center. Now, the only qualification is you have to be a dad, okay? So my wife, for Mother's Day, she was like, any woman can register. And I'm, no, not any man can register. I don't care if you're a male. You have to be a dad in order to register, okay? So go register for those gift baskets. I'd love to give them away. One of the things that's in the gift basket that I love so much is this book. It was written by a Navy SEAL, and it's called 100 Deadly Skills. And it's awesome. <laughs> in this book, you'll find things like how to uh, 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 evade uh, uh, tail, like if you're being followed, uh, how to get away from that, or uh, how to steal an airplane just in case you've ever needed that. How to win a knife fight. It's got it all in here. I'm telling you, it's the Bible and then 100 Deadly Skills in that order. But still, this book is awesome. It's a fun read. And so I want to give this book away today, but I don't need to give it to the veteran dad. I need to give it to a dad who's newer. And so what I want to do is I want to ask a question. I just want you to raise your hand if this is you. So if you're a dad in the room and you've got a child that's one year old or younger, I want you to raise your hand. Okay, I got a couple in the room. Keep your hands raised. Is there any in the balcony? There's Okay, in the balcony, keep your hand raised. If you've got a child that's six months old or younger, keep your hand raised. Okay, one went down over there. Are you, yes, is that still, no, no? So is it, who do we have? We got one in the back. I feel like I'm auctioning this off. Is there anybody else? No, is it just the one? Yeah, so you don't even go to church here anymore. I don't know if I can give it to you. How, how old is your baby? Nine weeks. Nobody beats that. Give him a round of applause for being a new dad. Thank you so much. I love those guys. Just happened to be in town today, and uh, so glad to have you. Uh, fathers, thank you for being here today. Literally, we wouldn't be here without you. So uh, thank you for being here today. Um, as we start this series back up, um, it really isn't man-centric. It really is about the idea that 
And what we're doing is examining men in Scripture who have found themselves in caves. And the fact is, all of us, whether you are a man or a woman, can find yourself in a dark spot in your life. You can find yourself in a cave. You can find yourself in a place that you never thought you would be. You can find yourself in a place that you feel like you've been abandoned or forgotten about. All of us can get there. Maybe you're here today and that's where you're at. And I just want to help you. I, I want to I show what God has done in the Word of God so that God can help you in the season you're in right now. One of my favorite people in scripture is a guy named David. And you might know David because he killed Goliath. So if you're new to church or new to the Bible or to God, uh, David killed Goliath, but he also became king of Israel. And, uh, and I want to look at his story because David is known in Scripture as a man after God's own heart, but David was terribly complex. He had lots of ups and lots of downs, and, and he was not always a perfect angel. He had some issues. And I want to look at some of his story today. And so we're going to start uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 22. And most of our Scripture today is in 1 Samuel, but uh, I want to give a little bit of background before we get there. So if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, God... There was a king over Israel, his name was Saul, and God realized that Saul was being unfaithful. He wasn't doing what God had asked him to do, and so God took the kingdom from Saul, and he gave it to David. So he said, Saul, you're not going to be king anymore, and in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel anoints David as the future king. Now, David is just a boy at the time, and he comes in from the field. He's been watching sheep, and he's stinky, and he's dirty, and all this stuff. And uh, they anoint him as the future king, and then they send him back to the field to, to watch the sheep some more because it's not his time yet. And that can be frustrating for us because sometimes we feel like if God has called us to something, he needs to do it right now. But there is an incubation period many times between God's anointing on our life and God's fulfillment for our lives. And so I want to encourage you today, the cave many times is part of that incubation period and part of that preparation period. And it definitely was for David, as we'll see in just a little bit. So he's anointed king. He goes back to the field. First Samuel 17, he, he takes some food to his brothers who are on the front lines of an army and of a war against the Philistines. He shows up, sees Goliath, and he says, I can take that guy. And he goes out and slays Goliath that day. This is his biggest moment. He, that's what he's known for, slaying Goliath. From there, in 1 Samuel 19, Saul attempts to murder David out of jealousy. The king tries to kill him. 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan, the, the son of Saul, the best friend to David, says, you need to leave. You need to run for your life because my dad's going to kill you. And so he leaves, and he leaves Immediately, he has no supplies, he has no uh, weapons, nothing, no provisions at all. And what we see in 1 Samuel 21, David goes to Nob, and he finds a priest named Ahimelech, and he says, I need a weapon, and I need some food. And he gives them both. He gives them the sword of Goliath, the sword that he used to kill Goliath with. So he has this as defense. He has some food. He escapes there and goes to Gath, which is a Philistine town. So you know it's bad when you are running away from your people and you run to your enemies to, to find shelter from your people. And that's what he did. And he finally leaves there. And this is where we pick the story up today. This is 1 Samuel chapter 22. And uh, this is what it says in verse 1. David departed from there, talking about Gath, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they, be, they went down to where he was. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who's bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. 
Now, what we see is Adullam is an actual cave, a series of caves, actually. Um, it's called a stronghold at times because there were so many caves, and many of them were intermingled, but they still find caves today. There are a couple in particular that could house people, as many as three to 400 people could comfortably live in one of these caves. Now, again, this is not fancy living. Uh, it is a cave. But they see and they know where David probably spent his time. And there was an extended amount of time that he was on the run. So he is, I want you to picture this. He's on the run for his life. He's a fugitive from the law. The king, although he's corrupt and evil, is trying to kill him. So the entire nation is against him. And he runs away. He goes to hide. And he finds shelter in this cave called Adullam. And when he gets there, he's not there by himself very long when people start showing up. How many of you know when you get to your cave season, sometimes you don't want your family around? Does anybody know that? <laughs> I love my family. But sometimes I want to be left alone. If I'm feeling down, if I'm discouraged, if I'm upset, if I'm hurt, if something's happened, sometimes I just want to be left alone. And sometimes the last thing I want is people to start showing up. And this is what happened. His family showed up. His brothers and all of his father's family, they show up to the cave. But, but that wasn't all. It says those who were in distress. The word for distress here is uh, maztok. And maztok means Distress or stressed or anguish. Now, if I, if I took a poll of people in the room and I said, I want you to raise your hand if you feel stressed out, probably a good portion of the people in this room would raise their hand because we understand stress. We are more stressed society than I think there's ever been in the history of the human race. We have more things to do things for us in our lives and to make our lives easier, but it just creates less margin for us and there's more stress in our lives. So we are stressed people. Um, but the, the picture I want to paint for you is this. The word stress here in the literal translation from the Hebrew means straits. And what straits is, it's a geographic term that describes a narrow body of water or a narrow band of water that connects two large bodies of water. So a strait is a, a narrow band of water between pieces of, of land that connect two bodies of water. And so sailors understand that a strait can be helpful in navigating, but a strait can also be terrifying because as you're navigating the strait, you have less room to navigate, and also you have no idea what's under the water, especially if there are no good charts. And so it creates this tension or fear as you have to navigate this strait. Maybe you've heard the term dire straits. There's an old band called dire straits. And that's what it's talking about, this pressure, this tension that comes on us. And this is the picture that's painted here, that when these men and women, they go to the cave, they're in distress. They're in straits. What's really going on is they're trying to navigate something that's new for them, and they have no idea what's under the water. Have you ever felt that way before? God, I'm in a new season in my life. Something, you're doing something, but I'm terrified. I'm not really sure what's going on. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what lies under the surface. And this is where these people were. They, they had no idea what the future held, and they were stressed. They were worried. I know when I'm stressed, I'm not the best person to be around. These people were stressed out. They were worried. The next group of people were people that were in debt. Um, if you look at the word Debt in Scripture, uh, in the Hebrew here, it's nashah. And nashah, it means to lend with interest, exactly what you would imagine. And uh, I'm not going to ask that question either. How many of you are in debt today? Because the truth is probably many of us, probably most of us have debt, whether it's school loans or a mortgage or uh, maybe credit card debt. And uh, maybe, maybe for you, you showed up to college. You get to college, you know, first week of class, and there's a tent set up. And they say, hey, you want a free T-shirt? 
And who doesn't want a free T-shirt? Of course I want a free T-shirt. They go, great, all you have to do is apply for this credit card. Okay, what's the rate? It's only 20%. Fantastic. What a great deal. It's like free money. So you get a credit card. And you get the credit card. And and you realize I'm a college student and I'm broke and I don't have any money. And you go to Taco Bell and you're like, I want two bean burritos. And they say, that'll be $1.89. You're awesome. And you dig in your pocket and you realize I don't have $1.89 because I'm broke. But I do have the magic free money credit card that I can use. Right? And so you swipe it, and you get your two bean burritos, and you regret it later because you ate Taco Bell, and then you also regret it because now you're paying for two bean burritos for the next 10 years at 10% interest. You get married, and you're still owing on the credit card for the bean burritos. Does that make sense to anybody? So there's some regret there. You've, you've gotten in debt. And, and the thing that's funny about this word, nashaw, is it means to loan or to, to borrow with interest, but it can also mean to deceive, and so what we see here is, honestly, credit card companies can be deceptive, right? And some of you understand this, but hey, free t-shirt, it's easy, no big deal. Why? What they're trying to do is get you to apply because it's deceptive. And this is what I would say. There were probably some people that showed up to Adullam, that showed up to the cave, that they were in debt. Undoubtedly, historically, we know people came that were in debt. They were escaping, having to pay their debts. And so they came to Adullam. But what we also see, I'm sure there were people who felt disenfranchised and frustrated because they believed something that they found out later was a, was a lie. They believed something about King Saul. They believed something about the state of their kingdom. They believed something about their society, their culture, whatever it was. And they realized what I believe is a lie. And I'm disenfranchised, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed. And they fled to Adullam. And maybe you're here and you're the same way. Maybe you've got some debt, some physical debt you've got to pay. But the truth is maybe you've been hurt, maybe you've been deceived, maybe you've been lied to, betrayed. Maybe you feel a little bit like some of these people would have. And then the last group of people, this is so interesting. It says they were bitter in soul. And if you look at this in context, what it's really saying is uh, that bitterness was seated at the core of their heart. So bitterness was the dominant feeling in their life. They were driven by bitterness. That's who they were. Do you know anybody like that? Everything is bad all the time. Everything is negative all the time. They're the victim all the time. Again, I don't know anybody like that around here. I'm from Oklahoma, and all the people in Oklahoma are just like that. But in Pennsylvania, no bitterness. There's no bitterness here. So again, imagine David's state. Imagine he's on the run from his life. He'd been anointed king, but that king, uh, that, that dream seems to have vanished from him. What he had dreamed about, thought about, planned on, all of his plans had been dashed, and here he is in the cave. And not only is he in the cave, God surrounds him with the biggest group of rejects you could imagine, right? These are the people that nobody would want. Society didn't want them. That's why they left society. These were people who were in distress, that were in debt, that were bitter. And God sends them to David. And I can imagine David must have felt something like, God, why are you doing this to me? How did I end up here in the first place, God? But number two, why are you sending me these people? Maybe you are in a cave season. And maybe you feel a little bit like that. There's a a saying um, that we talk about in leadership a lot, that we attract what we are. And I will tell you today, I truly believe we attract what we are. Um, and so when David examined the people that, was coming his, that were coming his way, he had to realize at some level, these are my people. Because 
I relate to them. Yes, they're bitter. Yes, they're disappointed. Yes, they're in debt. Yes, right, all these things, but that's kind of where I'm at as well. One of the things I love about this is David never forgot what his anointing was and who his anointing was from. Because after it says they all gathered together, about 400, it says, and he became commander over them. See, David had an anointing on his life to be the king of Israel someday. And it would have been so easy for him to get to the cave and say, God, you promised me, but here I am in the cave. I thought you were good, but you're not, because if you were good, I would be in the palace, but I'm in the cave. And so many of us get to that place where we go, God, you promised. I thought you were good, but look at my circumstance. How could you be good? But David didn't do that. David said, you know what? My anointing is to be king. My anointing is to lead. I'm not going to wait till I'm in the king. Uh, till I'm the king. I'm not going to wait till I'm in the palace. I'm not going to wait till I'm in the throne room to, to lead. I'm going to do what God's called me to do right now with the people that God has sent me. So God, if you send me the people that are in distress and the people that are bitter and the people that are in debt, those are the people I'm going to lead. I'm going to lead them well. I'm going to be faithful to do what you called me to do because he remembered his anointing. And so many times when we get to the cave, we forget our anointing. We forget our calling. We forget our purpose. We go, well, that's too late now. It can never happen because I'm in this cave, because God's not good, because fill in the blank. But, but David remembered. He also remembered who his anointing was from. He knew that his anointing was not man-made, that it was from God. So it made it easier for him in those cave moments to worship God well. He, he wrote two psalms from the cave of Adullam. Remember, the cave is one of his worst moments of his life, and he still takes time to pray, to worship God, to honor God. And he wrote Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 uh, from the cave of Adullam. And I just want to read a couple verses from Psalm 57. He says this. He says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Did, did you hear what he said? Remember, he wrote this from the cave, and he said, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Does it sound like God had fulfilled his purpose for David? No. So you could say, David, you're delusional. David, you divorced yourself from reality. Or you could say, David was a man full of faith. That he said, you know what, I see what my circumstances are. I, I know what I'm walking through. I see the cave I'm in right now, but I also know my God is a good God. I know God's not through with me. The end of my story isn't this cave. I know that God's got a future for me beyond this. And so you know what, God? I'm gonna worship you in spite of my circumstances. I'm gonna say I see what's going on. I know where I'm at. I know the people that are surrounding me. But God, I also know that you are faithful and you will fulfill your purpose for me. So I'm saying that by faith, God. And there's something that happens to us when we get to the cave that we lose all of our faith. We start thinking maybe the devil is one. Maybe our lives are over. Maybe God's forgotten about his plan. But what David did is he anchored himself in the goodness of God and said, God, I know you've got a purpose and a plan for me, and I know you're not through yet. So I know what I see, but I also know who you are. So God, who you are is more important than what I see. Verse 3 says this. From Psalm 57, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample on me. Selah, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Did you see what he said? He didn't say God has sent out his steadfast love. He said God will. And I love this. This is so real. Because he's not saying everything's great, everything's fine. What he's saying is, hey, this stinks. But I'm not worried because God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness to me. I don't feel it now. I don't see it now. I'm not, I don't know that I'm experiencing it now. But I know God is good and I know he will take care of this. And again, what do we do? We anchor ourselves in God because he is good. 
no matter what cave we may be in. And we anchor ourselves in the anointing that he's placed on our life, in the calling he's put on our life, in his purpose. Because each of us have a purpose for our lives. Each of us have a calling that's resident on our lives. One of the things that's true about the cave is you will discover who, who your true friends are when you go to the cave. See, everybody wants to be your friend when things are good. But when you show up at the cave, David showed up alone, and he had a few friends gather with him, right? About 400 is what it said. But I'm telling you, you find out who people think you are and how they feel about you when you're in the cave. In the last couple weeks here at the church, um, we have dealt with just with people in the church going through different things and seasons, we have dealt with some of the craziest things that I've ever dealt with as a pastor in 20 years of ministry in the last two weeks. I mean, like several things that they would be the, one of the biggest events that would happen to people in our church in, a, in their life, maybe. And all of them have happened like bang, 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 bang. And so I've had an opportunity to talk to some people at their worst possible moments and try to help them navigate that. And one of the things I've told them over and over and over again is you discover who your friends are at your worst, not at your best. Uh, that's why so many people who win the lottery want to take the money anonymously because they don't want people to know I got all this money. Because all of a sudden, you're going to have all your, all your friends from high school showing up, right? Your, your, your great aunt's cousin that you'd never met before. You know, I'm your eighth cousin four times removed. It's you know, time to catch up, buddy. It's like, maybe you heard that I won the lotto, right? Why? Because when, when things are good, people show up. Because you have something to give them. But when you have nothing to give, it's amazing how many friends you don't have. David had nothing to give. He wasn't the king. He, he wasn't even a general. He was just an outlaw on the run. And yet people gathered to him. And, and this is a sign that these are going to be his real friends. And what we see are the people that gathered with him at Adullam are the people that are going to be with him and be important figures in his life for the rest of his life. And you might be here today and you feel sorry for yourself because you say, you know what? Um, I'm in a cave and nobody's gathering to me. Nobody's coming to me. I don't have any friends. And I do feel bad for you, I promise. Um, sometimes we don't have people because people are selfish, but sometimes we don't have people because we're selfish. In order to have friends, we have to be a friend. I've had conversations with people who have come to our church, and they've said things like, we're leaving the church. Okay, is everything okay? Well, we just don't have any friends. It's too big. We've never been invited out one time since we've been here. Really? Have you ever invited anybody out? Well, no, but we've never been invited out either. Okay, do you see the hypocrisy there, right? Mel, I, I, I just can't build any, make any friends here. Well, uh, have you joined a small group? No. Have you signed up to serve anywhere, gotten connected with a serving group? No. So you just want to make friends in the two minutes before and after church? Build a deep, long-lasting relationship that way? Like, that doesn't even make sense, right? So that's what we do, though. We go, well, I don't have any friends. Well, have you tried to be a friend? If not, that, that I would push back gently on you and say, hey, maybe it's time to invite somebody to lunch. Maybe it's a time to join a small group so that you can have people at your worst possible moments because the best time to make a friend is before you need one. David had some great friends. These men that came to the cave with him, they became a, a group of men called his mighty men. 
And in scripture, they're, they're described as his mighty men several times. And the word mighty, it's gibor in the Hebrew, and it means brave or strong or hero or warrior, champion. And truly, these men were warriors. They were champions. They, they were manly men. But it's interesting. They're described later as mighty men, but when they come to the cave, they're described as debtors, distressed, bitter. And the difference is how God sees us many times. Because see, sometimes when we're in the cave and we see people show up to, to comfort us or come alongside us in our worst moments, we look at them and go, no, 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 I don't need anybody who's bitter. I don't need anybody who's in debt. I don't need anybody who's distressed. You just go back, find another cave, right? And then we wonder why we're alone. Maybe God is sending you these people for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. What we see is God sent these mighty men to David, and there were three tiers of mighty men. The first tier was uh, the 30 is what they're called, but generally speaking, there were more than 30. Um, there were, it was a kind of a rotating cast of men that would come through uh, depending on the season, and some of them died, uh, but, but there were more than 30, but they were called the 30. And this was, these were captains of their culture and their society. These were well-respected men. These guys didn't buy a meal whenever they went out and ate. They were always taken, because they, they were honored, they were revered. The second group, the second tier, uh, these were the captains of the 30. And the, the captain of these captains was a guy named Abishai. He was the nephew of David. His mom was David's sister. And Abishai had two other brothers, and they were, they were uh, pretty well known. Um, his brother uh, Azahel was also one of the three here. Um, not much is told about him in Scripture other than he was a fast runner, and he was killed in combat. Uh, we also, but Abishai, his brother, this was a man's man. I'm fascinated by Abishai. Um, what we see is in 1 Samuel chapter 26, David could have ended the conflict with Saul by simply taking his life. They snuck into his camp. Saul was asleep, and Abishai said, kill him. Just kill him. In this, you can become king right now. And this was Abishai. I mean, he was aggressive, right? And what we see is these guys were, were kind of scoundrels, honestly. They, they, were, they were men that won big victories, but they were also men that were deeply flawed. And he said, just kill him. And David said, I'm not going to kill him. And so he cut off part of his cloak, and he took his Yeti thermos, and he ran off. And he said, I could have killed you. See, I got your stuff, but I didn't. And Saul continued to try to kill him. But this is the guy Abishai was. Abishai actually killed a Philistine giant. You think David was the only one that killed a giant. He wasn't. Abishai killed a Philistine giant as well. He also killed 300 men with one spear in battle. Benaiah, I love Benaiah. He was the head of David's secret service. He killed an Egyptian giant. He killed two of Moab's top warriors. He also chased a lion into a pit and killed it. Now, I can imagine in my worst dreams being chased into a pit by a lion and being killed, but I cannot imagine chasing a lion. A lion is running from me for fear for its life, and it jumps into a pit. And when it gets in the pit, what Benaiah does is he, he goes, <laughs> I got it right where I want it. And he jumps in the pit and kills it, right? How manly is that? Come on, right? Golly, this guy's a stud. And he's not even in the top tier. This is second tier manliness, right? And then you have the top three. You have uh, Shema. Shema was uh, renowned for his 
valor on the battlefield. Uh, he battled an entire camp of Philistines at Lehi in the middle of a lentil field. And this doesn't sound like a big deal, but if you live in a cave, you're trying to scrap together some food. And so what they would do is, is they would have fields around of food that they would supply themselves with. And the Philistines came to get the field, and he goes and faces them in the field, in this lentil field. And every man in the army that's with him retreats except for him. Shema stays in the field, and he fights, and he wins the battle that day. And this is the kind of man I want with me in a cave. I want a man like this who will say, hey, when everyone else sees defeat, I see victory. When everyone else retreats, I'm going to fight. That's the guy I want standing with me at my worst possible moment. I love Shema. Eliezer. Eliezer is a similar story. Um, he fought when others retreated, and he fought so long with such endurance that his hand, Scripture records, that his hand froze to his sword. He had, have you ever heard the term um, trigger finger? It's where you, you, you bend your fingers and you can't open them back up. He had trigger finger, basically, over his sword. He couldn't let go of his sword. He held it so long and so fiercely, and he fought the battle with such endurance. And again, this is the kind of person I want fighting for me. This is the kind of person I want in the cave with me at my worst possible moment. I want somebody who's going to fight with such endurance that their hand freezes to the sword. Then we have Joshua Beam. And Joshua Beam was the, the chief of the three. He was the head honcho of the mighty men. He killed 800 men in a single battle with a spear, as well as a number of other things. But these were the manliest men in Israel. These were the men who were known as the champions, the warriors, the heroes, but they were also the men who showed up to David and they were debtors, bitter, distressed. And David said, I'm gonna lead these men well. I'm gonna be faithful to do what God's called me to do even now. And it's important that he did that because these people helped him become king. It says in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 10, now these are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. I wanna, I wanna say this to you boldly, but humbly if I can. There are some of you that are in a cave and you stayed in a cave because you haven't allowed the people who God has sent into your life to help you get to the palace because you've rejected them. And you said, these are the wrong people and I'm happy in my cave, so I'm gonna stay right here. I believe God is sending people your way to help you get to where he wants you to be and help you fulfill your purpose for your life. But you've rejected them because you don't think they look right, because they don't fit your standards. And I'm telling you today, God wants to use unlikely people in your life to help you get to where he wants you to be. And one of the ways you can identify who those people are is that it's the people who want to be with you in the cave. Because everybody wants to be with you in the palace, but nobody wants to be with you in the cave. There's a passage in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 39, I want to read to you. And this is... Um, well, let me read this to you first. It says, this is David talking. He says, and I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zerai, this, this is his, uh, his sister, Zerai, and it's, he's talking about his nephews, his three nephews. They are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. So let me tell you what had happened. Um, 
the, the battle between the house of David and the house of Saul had come to an end. Um, and David's youngest nephew, uh, Azahel, who was a swift runner, he was killed in the battle by a man named Abner. And Abner, it was part of the battle, so David had pardoned Abner. But Joab, who was a brother, and Abishai, who was the other brother we mentioned earlier, they had not forgiven him because he killed their brother. And so Joab decided, I'm going to kill him when he comes back to town. Even though it was at peacetime, um, Abner comes to town, they meet at the gate, and he brings him close to tell him something. And when they get close, he stabs him in the stomach. And he bleeds out and he dies. And David recognizes this was an act of murder. And as king, and this is what he's saying, he said, I'm a brand new king. And he said, and these men are severe. And what he's basically saying is what I'd like to do is bring justice for Abner. But I can't because these men have too much influence. These men have too much authority. And so I can't bring the justice that's needed for this man because he's acted wickedly. So what he says is, may the God of heaven bring justice, right justice to this man who's acted wickedly. Actually, what he says is the Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. Now, remember what I said, we attract what we are. David was a man after God's own heart. But he was a man who had wickedness resident in him. And I would say this, we all do if we don't guard our hearts. See, one of the things I've realized over my life is no one is all good or all bad. In the world we live in today, very polarized, we want to believe that people are all good or all bad. If you don't believe what I believe politically, you're all bad. You're evil, right? My boss is mean to me. He's evil. No, maybe you should show up on time, right? No, they're evil. Different political parties, different ethnicities, different genders, evil, 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 evil. No. This is what I want you to understand. Um, Think about the most evil person that you know, the person that's just the worst And I want you to understand, there are people that love them deeply, who think they're fantastic. Now think about the person you respect the most. And there are people that think that person's a scoundrel. Horrible. How could anybody respect that person? Why? The reason why is that they're both right. Um, (laughs) There are people in our community that think I'm horrible. And there are people that think I'm great. And do you know what's true is they're both right. I can be great sometimes and I can be horrible sometimes because that's true of me. See, we find what we look for. If I look for the best, I will find the best. If I look for the worst, I'm gonna find the worst because they're both there. And this is what I want you to understand. So many times we look at a person like David and we go, oh, he was great, he was awesome. Well, yeah, but he was complex. He was a mess, he was an issue, he had issues. And what we see is um, when we're in the cave, God's best and our worst will become evident. God will show up in mighty ways if we'll let him, and we'll see his best. We'll also see our very worst of our nature. So what David did, um, Joab, who had killed Abner, he was the commander of the army, and he took the army out to war. And David is home, even though he's supposed to be at war with his men. He's home, he's on the palace. He looks over, and he sees a woman bathing on the roof near him. And he doesn't avert his eyes. He doesn't leave like he should have. He, he continues to look. And he calls his servant and says, hey, go find that woman. For I would love to meet this woman. And the servant says, well, uh, that is the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. And I can imagine he added emphasis. The wife. He, she is the wife of Uriah. So she married Uriah, and they're married legally, boss, right? 
It doesn't say that in scripture, but I'm imagining that. But that's not the only part, that she's the wife of Uriah. Remember I mentioned the mighty men earlier. The name Uriah the Hittite might not mean anything to you, but it should have to David because Uriah was one of his mighty men. So think about this. Uriah left the comfort of home, left his family, left everything he knew to come join David in the cave to support the cause, to be with the man he believed in. And when Uriah is away at war, David says, I I want his wife. So he takes her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. To cover up the pregnancy, he actually has Uriah killed. So he, he talks to Joab, who is a scoundrel. And he says, Joab, I want you to put Uriah at the front lines where the battle is the hottest. And then when things are going really just severely, I want you to pull everybody back. So he's isolated by himself and he'll be killed. And sure enough, that's what happens. So David could swoop in, he marries Bathsheba, and he looks like the hero because he's taking care of the situation. But in reality, he had a man killed. So now, Joab, who is all kinds of bad, has some dirt on the king that I can guarantee you he will leverage at some point. And this is what I want you to know. Uh, No matter how secret your secret is, it will come out at some point. So sure enough, um, the prophet comes to David and he said, hey, David, I know what you did. God told me. And David was surprised. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that with me for you? Hey, I need to talk to you for a minute. God told me that you've been da 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 da. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad he doesn't do that with me. I'm glad he doesn't do that with you too. That would be embarrassing for all of us, right? So what we see is, was David still a man after God's own heart? Absolutely. He was complex. He, he, he was messy. And he attracted men that were like him. Men that were flawed. Men that were, God, had their issues for sure. But we also see that these men were wonderful men in many ways. Let me read this story to you. This is 2 Samuel, uh, Samuel 23. It says, and three of the 30 chief men, so talking about the three, went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, so he was in Adullam, and the garrison of Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. So I want to set the scene for you. David is in the cave of Adullam, and I'm, I'm taking some, a little bit of liberty with this, but he's in the cave of Adullam. I can imagine he's sitting around with his, with his chiefs, with the, the, the advisors. There's a cave, uh, the, the, the light from the cave entrance that's coming in, but really the, the real only light in the room is the, the campfire that they're surrounded. Uh, so they lean in, and their faces are illuminated by the, the, the light that's dancing around the room. And I can imagine them talking about current events and what's going on, and the Philistines have occupied Bethlehem. And this is important. This is David's hometown. This is, this is where he has shepherded sheep. The very fields that he used to work are now occupied by the enemy. And I can imagine his disappointment, his frustration. And, and I can imagine him saying this line almost as, as if it slipped out of his mouth, like he's thinking, but it, it escaped his mouth without him even willing it to happen. And he says, oh, man, there was this, this well by the gate in Bethlehem, and they had the best water. Oh, it was cool, and just the flavor, oh, it was, 
It was perfect. And it's more than just this desire to drink cool water, I think. I think it's this desire to, to go back to where it was, a sense of nostalgia in some ways. And for David, I think that's where it ended. But in the next verse, it says, Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went and risked their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the mighty men did. So they come back with the water and he dumps it out. I gotta be honest with you, my first response might have been to be a little bit ticked if he starts pouring it out. Like, like David, we brought you this water. And he's like, great. And I'm like, no, right? Like that moment, no. But these men weren't offended by that. See, they didn't sneak in. It says that they burst through the front lines. So they didn't sneak in clandestinely and maybe nobody will notice. They risked their lives. They fought a battle not because they were commanded to, but because they were so devoted to their commander. They loved him so much that they do not even what he asked, but they recognized a need and something that would be a blessing to him, and they said, we're going to go do whatever we need to do to honor him. So when he came, they brought the water back and he dumped it out. They weren't offended by that because they recognized what he said. What he was basically saying is, this water is too valuable for me to simply consume it. This water is too precious for me to drink it. This water, it doesn't belong to me. This water belongs to God. And I'm telling you, there's a stewardship message here, and I won't get into all of it today, but I'm telling you, there's something about being blessed by God and saying, God, this is too valuable for me to consume it. God, I want to bless you. I want to give it to you. And so he, he pours it out as a drink offering to the Lord. These men were devoted. They loved him. They would die for him. Why? Because he would die for them. Because he was devoted to them. He fought for them. He gave them voice. See, we attract what we are. The, the worst of us and the best of us. 2 Samuel 21, last passage I want to read to you, says this. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary in Ishbi Benab, by the way, if you were pregnant with a child, I would suggest Ishbi Banab as a potential name for your child. I can almost promise you they'll be the only Ishbi Banab in their whole school. <laughs> It'll be terrible on their t-shirt, like, uh, you know, Little League, stuff like that. Oh, great. In Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of the giants, he was a giant, son of Anak is what they're called sometimes, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. He was plotting to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zerai, again, I love Abishai, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, you shall no longer go out with, with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. So what they say is, David, you're too important to lose in battle. Let us fight the giants for you. I love that. Verse 18 says, after this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sebek-I, the Hushite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. Again, Sebek-I killed another giant. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And El-Hanan, 
The Bethlehemites struck down the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath. And where there, uh, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. I love how the writer had to write the, the math in there in case you're bad at math. Six on each hand, six on each foot. It's 24. It's 24. I, you don't have to do the math. I did it for you, right? In case you're bad at multiplication. And he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of the servants. I love this so much. Now, these weren't all the giants that were killed. We, we mentioned some earlier. But what we see is of the giants that were killed, David is responsible for one of them. And all the rest of the giants that were killed were, were the, his mighty men. And what I want you to know is this. We attract what we are, but we reproduce who we are as well. I want to be a giant killer so bad. But my hope is I'm not a giant killer at the expense of everyone else. My hope is I can kill a giant and then help you kill a giant. Because our community needs more than one giant killer. We reproduce what we are. David was a giant killer. And I believe what he did is he showed his men how to kill giants. He said, hey, let me, let me display, let me show you what this is all about. See, some of you here, you, you want your kids to have a deep-seated faith, but you're unwilling to have a deep-seated faith. I want you to know something. You reproduce what you are. If church is not a priority for you, if your relationship to God with God is not a priority for you, I want you to know something. It will be even less of a priority for your kids. We reproduce what we are. If you're a business leader and, and, and you treat your employees badly, you better believe that you are reproducing employees that are going to treat people badly. I don't understand why we have customer service issues. Maybe because you treat your employees like garbage. Right? Because we reproduce what we are. Now, this is a challenge, but it's an encouragement to us as well. We have the power to dictate what comes after us. We have the power to, to leave a legacy because we reproduce what we are. See, I'm telling you today, this community, this region needs churches full of people who will slay a giant. I love the fact they didn't go, David, there's another giant. You got to come kill this giant for us. Abishai said, hey, the giant's trying to kill my king. I, I, he could handle himself. He's killed giants before. I got this one. I want us to have the kind of boldness like Benaiah that we will chase a lion into a pit and kill it. I want us to have that kind of mentality that we say, now, you know what, we're going to take ground from the enemy, but we're going to raise up a generation of students. We're going to raise up men and women in our church that they know how to take ground from the enemy as well. We're going to kill some giants, but we're going to raise up some people who know how to kill some giants as well. But we can't do that many times because we're too busy feeling sorry for us in the caves. We've missed the opportunity to raise up giant killers because we've rejected the giant killers because they don't look right, because you're in debt, you're in distress, you, you have issues, you don't look right, 
You don't fit our mold. You don't fit our standards. I'm sorry. And as a result, we're isolated. And what happens is we never fulfill our destiny, but we never raise up people to fulfill their destiny either. God is surrounding you with people to help you become who he wants you to be. But he's also surrounding you with people that you're going to help them become who he wants them to be. You know, we just read a portion from uh, 2 Samuel 21. If you go forward to 2 Samuel 23, we see uh, David's last words, the last things he says. It's like his obituary. And then following his last words, it tells the story of the mighty men. It gives their highlights. And this is so interesting to me because what it says to me is you can't know the story of David without knowing the story of the mighty men. The the writer of 2 Samuel is saying, hey, even if you know the story of David, you don't know the whole story if you have not heard about the mighty men. And what you have to understand is their story is David's story and David's story is their story. They're intermingled. And there are people whose, whose story needs to be told, but they can't be told unless you get involved. And they're... There are people that want to be involved in your life. You have to understand your story will never be complete until you invite them into it. They're going to help you get to the palace from the cave, but you're never getting to the palace unless you get the right people in your life. So I've got some questions for you as we close out today. The first question is this. Who are you attracting in your cave? At your worst moments, who are the people that surround you? Now, I'm not talking about the labels that the world puts on them, but are they the people that can help you get to where you need to be? David understood the society has rejected these guys, but I see something different in them. So my question is, who are you surrounding yourself with in the cave? Who is coming to you in the cave? Have you forgotten God's purpose for you? In your time in the cave, have you forgotten what your anointing is and where your anointing is from? Are you waiting for man to rescue you? Or do you understand that God is on his way if you'll just put your trust in him? Have you forgotten your call that, that I'm supposed to lead in the palace, but I'm unwilling to lead in the cave? So have you forgotten God's purpose for you? Third question is this. Who are your mighty men? Who are the people in your life? Remember what I said, mighty, the, the word he bore, it, it means brave, strong, hero, warrior, champion. Who are the champions in your life that are gonna help you get to the next place? Maybe they're champions disguised as rejects. And the last question is this, who can you be a mighty man for? Who can you champion to help them get to the next level? Who can you fight for to help them get to the palace and help them fulfill their destiny? Because guys, I want you to know something. Our walk with Christ is not about us. It's not how can I be happier? How can I be more fulfilled? How can I get to heaven? It's about, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Fulfill your purposes in my life, God. I'm telling you today, your story does not end in the cave unless you choose for it to. God's got a purpose and plan beyond this, and he wants to use people to help you get to where he wants you to be, and he wants you to help people get to where uh, he wants them to be as well. Let's pray. God, we honor you today, and we're grateful that you do have a purpose and plan for every single one of us, God, every person that's listening to this right now, every person that's watching online, God, I thank you that you have a purpose and a plan and a destiny for us. And God, I pray that you would open up our eyes 
to the people that you surround us with, the people that you send our way. God, help us to see them with your eyes, with the eyes of heaven and not with earthly eyes. Help us to see their potential, their God-given potential, and help us not see the labels that the world has put on them. God, I pray that you would help us get to where we need to be when you send the right people our way. God, help us to be people who facilitate. And Lord, help us to be mighty men for other people. Help us to be champions for other people. Help us to slay giants for other people so that we can help them fulfill their purpose and destiny as well. God, I pray that this would be a church not of timid, quiet souls that will watch things happen, but God, let us be the people who will chase a lion into a pit and kill it. Help us to be the people who will be aggressive in your name, who will take ground in your name. Help, help us be people not, that we will watch the enemy do things to our family and do things to us, but God, let us push back. Help us fight back in the name of Jesus. God, let this be, let this be a zone where the enemy is not welcome and the enemy is not put up with and the enemy is not ignored, where we will chase him down and take ground from him. God, I pray that you'd raise up that spirit within us, raise up that faith within us, that God, we are gonna see giants fall in our community, that we're gonna see the enemy retreat in fear, that when everybody else is running away, God, we're gonna run to the fight. So God, I pray that you'd raise up men and women in this room that have that heart for you, Help us see that it doesn't come with just bravado or with pride, but Lord, it comes through your spirit. So God, I pray your Holy Spirit would empower us to live this kind of life. God, I pray for people that are here tonight, today that don't know you, that aren't in relationship with you, that this is all foreign to them because they've never really experienced your spirit. Let today be the day they surrender it all to you. Let today be the day that they, they see that you are the mighty man that they need. So God, let them invite you into their lives so that you can change their destinies. Have your way among us today. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask, if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, I'm not really walking with God, I'm not in a relationship with Christ, but I know I need to be. Maybe you were religious, maybe you've been to church a thousand times, but today you recognize I'm not walking with the Lord and I want to surrender my life to him. I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come forward. I just want to pray with you where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough right now to say, Mel, that's me, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. You can slip your hand up real high where I can see it and put it right back down. Yeah, thank you, ma'am, on my left. Thank you, ma'am. I see you on my left. Who else? Yeah, on my right, I see you, sir. Praise God. Praise God. Who else would join these and say, pray for me, Mel. Today's my day. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to make him Lord of all. Yeah, I see you up on the balcony. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to say this prayer with me out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving your life to pay the price for my sins. From now on, my life belongs to you. Use it for your glory. Help me fulfill your purpose for my life. And help me do the same for others. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we give God a round of applause today? Scripture says when one comes to knowledge of Christ, that heaven erupts, that heaven has a party, and I believe heaven is celebrating today. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. The simplest thing you can do is to take the card out of the seat back in front of you. You can fill it out. The side of the card that says uh, salvation, fill that out, and then take it over to our info center. Give it to them. They're going to give you a free Bible to help you on your faith journey. 
Uh, if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us and you'd like to respond, simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to respond back to you. We'll help you get connected with a church in your area, somewhere throughout the United States or even the world. We'll help you find a life-giving church for you to connect with. And this is what's going to happen right now. The worship team's going to lead us in one final song. We're going to sing together. And while we're singing, our prayer team's going to come up, and they'll be on either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all today, no matter what it may be, as we sing, step out from your seat, find one of them, let them agree with you. And then in just a moment, we're done singing, our youth pastor, Ricky Ingram, he's going to come, and he'll close us out and dismiss us. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room. Uh, guys, I hope you have a wonderful, happy holiday or happy Father's Day today. I hope you eat some meat and shoot something or blow something up or whatever it might be. But I want you to know I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.